this was the episode that gave me the most trouble picking a song. That sweater was hilarious. It was. That's too much math. My, my, head's, my head's hurting right now. To me, is one of the most criminally underused actors in the history of the world. Nice. Oh, I don't think we done Violet like it. No. I gotta be honest. I God got, bless you. I gotta be honest. This was the episode that gave me the most trouble picking a song. <laughs> Can I just do a little confession? My first one that I was gonna use, Dan Fogelberg's part of the plan. Oh no. <laughs> nice. No. Nice. Come on, Logan, what you did. <laughs> And welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from Madwolf.com. And we've already jumped in with our special guest, filmmaker Jeff Frum. So welcome. Hello, welcome. I mean, I'm welcome. <laughs> you couldn't. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of fun this week uh, talking about anthologies. It's pretty much by popular demand. And what's very cool is we have totally, totally different lists. So we're going to talk about a lot of good anthologies. Maybe you know some, maybe you don't. But I'm just, I'm feeling extra good for picking that song because I know <laughs> that you would like it. So uh, right off, we want to say thank you. Last time we did Best Middle Eastern Horror, and we really got a great response to that, didn't we? A great episode. Thank great you. Great episode. You. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, so we followed up the Greasy Strangler live event, and that was the biggest turnout we've ever had at the, at the Gateway Film Center. So not quite as many people came out to see the uh, Middle Eastern, which we showed Big Bad Wolves, but I kind of had a sense that this would do well for us on Twitter, and it did. And I think it's because not that many people have covered it, because as we mentioned in the podcast, it's a fairly new genre in the Middle East for a lot of different reasons so we were excited to cover that uh, our friend silas he did mention that he was happy about our number one which as we pointed out there was a little back and forth between george and me as it would be number one and yeah. who won george i did i won that one yep but you know what they're both good they're both so good <laughs> it was you know really not gonna have a loser no. with the two of those but it was really good so yeah so we're finally getting around to anthologies a lot of people have asked for this one including uh, letitia yeah our friend from texas a lot of people dark and, dave another friend from texas yeah. and he has a he has a wish and it's not going to come true, Dave, but I know it's he wished because he loves Vincent Price, and so he's going to be happy with the list. It's just that the one movie he chose is not going to be on here. Okay, well. That so. was a great episode, too. The Vincent Price one, you got your <laughs> yeah. appreciation. Thank you. For Price, especially, uh, what was that? Uh, Theater of Blood. I yeah. love that is a great Sorry, one. Continue. So one of the reasons you have to say why we've kind of resisted so long, you're not the biggest fan of, of, of these as a genre, right, Hope? I am not. Just like when we did found footage, which we were shamed into doing because I bitch about found footage so often. And, you know, when you sit down and just go through everything, you realize that there are quite a few gems. And, man, there have to be, I'm going to guess, ballpark, 300 million anthology horror films. <laughs> there was a lot to sift through. But I did. I mean, you know, once you put it together, you realize that there are an awful lot that are pretty great. So I'm, I'm happy that we did do this finally. Well, we've got on it. We're, we're excited to do it, and we're excited to have our, our guest, uh, Jeff, who we met. We just met at the Nightmares Film Festival. You were in as a filmmaker, very talented filmmaker. You brought your movie, uh, Romeo's Distress, which we were so glad to see and so glad to meet and talk to you. So i got to ask you about your feelings about anthologies as a genre. Is that, is that an area that you're really a fan? It's just one of my favorite parts, I guess, of the horror genre is anthologies because it's like you get you know, anywhere from three to five little mini movies and a wraparound. And it just is so invocative of DC Comics and Tales from the Crypt, the HBO show, which is like one of my, pretty much my all-time favorite show. Awesome, awesome. Well, as we mentioned, 
You've got five that you you just ranked for to, to be ranked. They're really five that you just hope people are aware of, correct? Yes, but I mean, again, if you if you're not aware of these, you should definitely seek them out if you can because they are just really awesome anthologies within the greater anthology zeitgeist. Okay, well, like like we said, we've got five different from your five, so let's jump right in. And uh, number five on your list of anthologies is what? Little known anthology called Strange Frequency, which started off actually as a pilot for what was to be a huge, it's basically like the musical rock version VH1 Twilight Zone. And it was on VH1 uh, years and years ago, I think like uh, 2001, 2002. And all the stories are music centric. So like one of the stories is about serial killer hitchhikers and, you know, there's the, uh, the grandpa who's really into swing, and then there's uh, Eric Roberts who's really into, like, the 60s. Then there's Christopher, ah, I forget his last name, he's on the, the eldest brother, Francis, on up in the middle, and he's really into, like, grunge. And it's like serial killers uh, trying to relate to different generations of other serial killers, I guess. Well, I know, I know. Uh, so that's just an example. I know Hope likes this one just for one reason, if not any others, because John Taylor from Duran Duran is in this. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Oh. And actually, um, so as a general rule, we don't include made-for-TV movies in this countdown. But because you Ooh. are a guest and also because I get the chance to talk about John Taylor, we let this one slide. <laughs> uh, he was in the, um, what's it called? Uh, room Service. House yeah, Room Service, where the, the room keeps, that's, that's great. It was like, it's like they, they told the story about how the room keeps getting put back together because rock stars are known for trashing hotel rooms, you know? <laughs> yeah, we let it go. She let it go. <laughs> You know the one actually I think I like the best in that was it's called Disco Inferno and it's got Danny Masterson from that seventy show. Yeah, that's the one that uh, he was talking that Jeff was talking about, right? Oh no 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 no! No, Chris Masterson, his brother, his brother is in the Hitchhiker one with Eric Roberts. You're right. All right, my my bad. Yes, yes, my bad. Brothers were in it. Yeah, he's together. The 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 heavy metal rockers and their version of Hell is a is to be in a disco forever. What a great concept! It's pretty funny. That is good. All right, Strange Frequency from 2001. That is Jeff's number five, and we're going to go to 1982, an anthology which tells five terrifying tales based on the EC horror comics of the 1950s creep show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo, and the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, you'll scream at ghastly ghouls, cringe at weird kids, and shiver at the doings of evil doctors. Creep Show, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. I actually think that we're going to get shit for having this ranked so low, but yeah. I think maybe when we get into the I'm rest shocked. of the list that I'm people shocked. will... I thought it was your number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth is, I'm not a huge giant fan of this movie, but partly because, partly because the tone that it has is very effective for what it's trying to do. It's just I'm not the audience. So what it does a great job of is creating this very juvenile tone that matches the concept that it's going after, which is comic books, you know, juvenile comic books. And a couple of the shorts in it, I think, are magnificent. And a couple of the shorts I'm actually not really very fond of. I The lonesome death of Jordy Varel. I'm looking at you, Stephen King. But, <laughs> So Stephen oh King God, wrote it for the, the screen. One. That's the best one. No, my God. <laughs> uh, and Fluffy, too. Fluffy and the Crate. Fluffy, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. The, the Crate with Hal Holbrook is a great one. And the one I like the best is something to tide you over. Not necessarily because it's, it's I guess, it's not the scariest or anything, but Leslie Nielsen is 
awesome. He's, I mean, his, when you see him, his performance is, then you're like, oh, this is how people are supposed to act when they're acting. I forgot. Because <laughs> everybody's sitting through. But, I mean, it is a fun movie, but it's, it's got that campy, mean spirit that sort of horror comic books have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's all about comeuppance and shock. And, and uh, you know, and there's the, the sort of iconic image of the Father's Day cake, you know, and, and it is a fun movie. And it's also, I think, interesting to see so much because Ted Danson is also in it. Ed Harris is in it. Yeah. You know, there are a bunch of people who were pretty huge at the time who uh, who co-starred in this, which is really fun. And, and George Romero directed it. And you're, you can yeah. never go wrong there. And this is the only Romero film where he didn't write it, correct? Yep. Yes. Also about Leslie Nielsen. So he's uh, on set for his segment. He had he he was a real practical joker, and he used to um, carry around a fart device that would make farting sounds, and he would crack everybody up. Uh, and he even there was something about like when he died, he wanted to be buried with the fart machine. I don't know. I, I there was a I saw it in like a segment on a, a documentary about Creepshow. You know, he he but, yeah. he looks like a guy who would just carry around a fart device. He does kind he? of. Look at that guy over there. Bet he's got a fart machine. That sweater was hilarious. It was that sweater he wears oh. in this. I've always that I always carried that with me. Like deal with that sweater oh exactly. It really was. It was bad. But I think you're right. I, probably a lot of people would probably put this much higher. Yes, I think this is a much beloved film, and it's just that, I don't know, the tone never sat that well with me, because it's very campy, which I don't always like, and it's it's very mean-spirited, which I also don't always like, but George Romero knows what he's doing, and what I do like... Again, I, I mean, I think it's the tone that it's meant to have because I think it's the audience that it's that it's going after. And I do love the way the bridges between the stories where the comic book pages just flap in front of the screen and you get these like advertisements and things to send away for and stuff like that. I mean, I think it's all pretty cool. I think the artwork is very cool in mm-hmm. this. And it's kind of a concept that I think is carried out much better in a film that we'll talk about later. OK, it's um. It's very, it has this one, it has a wonderful stylized look, and you could just tell that it's just, I mean, it's just a send-up to EC Comics. It's like, how can we make, create a movie version of an EC comic? And if it, if it has two, if I had to give it, if I had to uh, magnify two of its shortcomings, and they're small, because I think overall it's a pretty flawless anthology, it would be one, I wish there was more of a wraparound. I would have even wanted to sacrifice one of the stories for a much more meaty, like meatier wraparound story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a good point. I could, I could probably be into that as well. So that's number five on our list. Creep Show from 82, moving up to the number four slots for each of us. What do you have, Jeff? So number four on my list is a Vincent Price, uh, one of two Vincent Price anthologies that I have on this list because of my dear love for Vincent Price. And it's from uh, 1987, and it's called From a Whisper to a Scream. And it's co-written by the same guy who wrote another anthology that I wanted so much, so desperately to put on my list, but I feel like it's so much, like people know it, and I just felt like it would be kind of a cop-out, and that is Tales from the Hood. So Tales from the Hood was also written by the same guy. Uh, and it's just got four really solid tales, one of which has uh, Clue Gallagher from uh, Return of Living Dead is in it, along with his wife. And it's just it's just batshit insanity. There's like, you know, necrophilia that winds up in undead pregnancy. And it's really grotesque in certain areas. But I just think the stories are really unique. And they all take place in different time periods. There's one about voodoo immortality uh, and uh, another one about a glass-eating carny that's really great. And the last one is kind of like Children of the Corn meets the Civil War. Cause it takes place in like 1865 and it's a bunch of kids in a town 
that's been ravaged by the war, and they sort of run run things. And this this uh, general has to deal with these uh, kids. And uh, the wraparound with Vincent Price overall is kind of weak sauce. Uh, it does also have Susan Tyrell in the movie. Forbidden Zone, which if you haven't seen, you must check it out. It's not a horror movie, but it's just a bizarro movie, and she's the queen. She's really great in it. I just think it's a really solid, overlooked anthology. I agree that I think the wraparound story, which is he he works in a uh, a library in this Tennessee town that's cursed, and she's come to interview him because his niece was just just killed uh, for for manslaughter. Right? She was just electrocuted, yeah. or or maybe not. I think she might it might have been lethal injection. And he's just keeps handing her these journals and diaries and things from like town founders. And that's which is how they explain kind of the the different time periods. And, and a lot of the, the the story, the voodoo story is the weakest. I think the one I like the best, although I think the Google girl one is interesting. But the one I like the best is the Civil War one. And I remember having seen just that as a kid on HBO and it's so grisly. And for years I tried to figure out what movie that was from because I didn't realize that what I saw was just a short. I thought I just saw a segment of a longer movie because that was the only part of it that I saw. It's really grisly. And that's one of the things I think is interesting about this particular anthology is that so often they are campy and goofy and this is just grim. You know, there's humor in some of them, but but it really is, it's a nasty little film. It's a good way to put it, actually. Nasty little film from a whisper to a scream from 87. <laughs> that is Jeff's number four. Our number four is from 2007, and it's a horror film told in three parts from three perspectives in which a mysterious transmission that turns people into killers invades every cell phone, radio, and television, and it's called The Signal. I see it in the streets, all the terminus. It's happening everywhere. People are going crazy in their head all over. That TV got in your brain and has distorted your perception. Ah! I'm not crazy like those others. No, man. You're much worse off. Why can't you just keep your mouth shut and watch TV? This is one I could swear we have talked about before, but <laughs> I couldn't find any evidence of it when I was going back and trying to find the uh, the trailer. But because it dealt with radio, we might have talked about it in the DJ episode. I don't think so, but maybe. Anyway, we're talking about it now. We are talking about it so now. So what do you think? So, and, and it's funny, we had, uh, we have every once in a while, we have uh, Jason Tostevin on here. And uh, I remember having a conversation with him on air one time about my issue with anthologies. And he told me that I only like anthologies when all of the stories hang together really solidly. Mm-hmm. That I don't just like a series of shorts. And that might be why I like this one so well because it is it's three different short films and they're really especially the one wedged in the middle they take a very different tone and approach and they tell interesting stories but they are basically they all happen in one night and they have more or less the same cast and it's interesting to me and it's also you know the the core story is about this mysterious transmission that makes everybody crazy so it's got kind of that the crazies feel about it is that you spent and actually this is a quote from there you know do they have the crazy like you're never sure do they have the crazy (laughs) and the one in the middle is my favorite one. And uh, A.J. Bowen, who's in tons and tons of horror movies, he's in um, Your Next. He's the weaselly, you know, uh, professor boyfriend in Your Next. He's in a lot of stuff. And this one, he plays an exterminator, and his wife is having an affair. And he gets the crazy, and, and he ends up at this birthday party. And it's just batshit, the entire episode. And I absolutely love it. And then they go back to 
the the core story, which is of his wife and her boyfriend. And it gets a little bit more melancholy, a little bit more sci-fi in the third episode. Although I like it, and I like the resolution, and I like all of the performances, but mostly I love A.J. Bowen in this movie. You mentioned Jason, and I just want to take a quick moment, considering that we met at the Nightmares Film Festival, and just wanted to say that I had such a good time at the Nightmares Film Festival. It was my best festival experience that I've had yet. And Jason and Chris and Bridget uh, and and their whole staff, it, they're just awesome. And what we love they're them doing all. out there, yeah. And what you guys have the coolest horror scene in Columbus right now. And it's so awesome that you have this place, the Gateway Film Center. I just think it's great. And you, if you're in the area, you should definitely go check that out. And if you're looking for festivals to attend you should definitely check out nightmare film festival yeah um, i appreciate that because sometimes on this podcast i thought are we pushing that too heavy we talk about <laughs> no, it all the time but you're so right no. it's so great i'm glad to hear you say that dude it's a scene and we don't have that you know we don't really have that as or at least i guess there is some stuff but it's like i really saw uh, this really awesome horror family out there and you know, and the fact that the, the it's called better horror, I think that's so awesome. I think that's it's just it's just like how can we do this but better in the way of just trying to elevate everything. And I love that Jason and Chris and, and Bridget and everybody can spearhead that. And uh, I just uh, I'll definitely be back at the Nightmares Film Festival. And I think it's great that you keep bringing it up because it puts it on people's radars, and more people should know that you know I love Horror Hound and all that stuff too. But there's other stuff out there, and there's other stuff that's exploding and growing, and one of those things is the Nightmare Storm Festival in Columbus, Ohio. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Put it on the calendar, everybody, for next October, the 2018 version of Nightmares Film Festival, hashtag bitter horror. All right, so let's get back to um, anthologies, and we're up to number three on Jeff's list. What are you looking at? Okay, number three for me is Dead Time Stories from 1986. I recently first I recently watched this one on Shutter. I had been seeing this. I mean, th- this is this is a staple of the VHS horror section uh, in your local video store uh, for you know years and years and years. It always pa- I, at least I I would always pass by it and see it, and I just never rented it. Uh, and finally, it was on Shutter. I was like, oh, I'm going to stream this. I've always wanted to see this, and I was just blown away. I mean, it's very close to being a perfect anthology. The stories themselves are not perfect. But uh, just that, that weird, there's that weird monster creature that pops out at the end. And the fact that, you know, I didn't, I was looking for the songs because I'm obsessed with like, you know, <laughs> I'm obsessed with anthologies. I'm particularly obsessed with anthologies that have like original music or music in them in general. And I was looking for these songs. I was shocked to learn that these four original songs were written by the director himself. So he put his own original songs in the movie and... Yeah, it's just uh, another example of just uh, batshit, you know, 80s wackiness. Yeah, it's funny. Um, in particular, the Goldilocks segment, right, to me, oh, yeah. feels like a Dr. Demento video from the 80s, right? I kept, you know, I kept <laughs> wanting to hear fish heads, fish heads. Uh, it's, it's just nuts. And then, uh, you know, what's, what's funny, what's hilarious to me about it is Melissa Leo, Oscar winner Melissa Leo, is in that one, the Goldilocks segment. She plays yep. the mama bear, which is hilarious to me. Um, I'm not going to agree in any measure with your assessment of this movie, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, That's okay. <laughs> but it is fun to watch. I like the third one uh, with uh, Goldilocks and the you know the three bears, which is which is there are no bears in it. It's a a really sort of well, the wacky family, the three family. The three family members are like the bears. But yes. I will I respect your your opinion in that sense. But I would say that I would say that the word I'm looking for is that they're fun. 
it's not, you know, this is not some flawless anthology for sure, but it's like, you know, it's like you want to just pop in something, you know, fun. And that, and you can tell that the filmmaker, or at least I could tell that he had a lot of passion and love and, and put a lot of care into this weird little movie. And I would actually pair it. If I had to pair this film with another film, I don't know why, but I would pair it with 1984, The Company of the Wolves oh, by sure. Neil Jordan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. all I don't fractured know fairy tales, it, all of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, just would, it would just go so well together. I, can't, I don't know why, but yeah. Awesome. Okay, so Dead Time Stories from 86. Number three for Jeff. Number three on our list is probably, might be my favorite on this on our list I, I like this one so much from 2007 it's several scary black and white animated segments in different styles appealing to our fears of the dark when you are afraid it is difficult to breathe but it is easy to panic From six of the leading graphic artists of our time comes a film that reinvents the meaning of terror. Fears of the Dark. Prepare for a journey into the unknown. So I watched this one on assignment from you guys because (laughs) I wanted to make sure that it was streaming on Hulu. Uh, So if you want to watch it, it's out there. It's streaming on Hulu. Perfect. And I was like... um, I was like, all right, I'm going to check this out, because like I said, I like to leave no anthology stone unturned. I've even seen the dreaded, horrible Creepshow 3 and the other Dead Time stories that George Romero, for some weird reason, put his name on. But those are horrible. I would not recommend watching those. And Fears of the Dark was interesting. as You, you know, I love black and white, uh, especially in animation. But I think I overall I would have enjoyed it more if I had seen it in a theater, kind of like Three Dead Trick or Treaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something you have to be you have to be really like keyed in at like and you have to be seeing what you're seeing on a big screen. It's a lot harder to watch like this little this this abstract black and white animation sure. uh, yeah. that's subtitled. Favorite short out of uh, uh, all six stories would be the uh, insect one, the first insect one. Yeah, the yeah. Meta- metamorphosis. Yeah. Yes, yes, I really liked that a lot, particularly because I thought um, it, it was keying in on like reversing genre rules through insects because she kind of becomes a man and he kind of, you know, he becomes pregnant with her. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of this that, that really, really uh, jumped out at me. I love, well, I like the different, every, every, each one had different style of animation which I liked, and they, they used those little interludes that went between each segment where it was almost like you were eavesdropping on a therapy session. Uh, they were talking about different fears, and then you'd have that soothing music, and it just kind of went right. from one to the other. And they, they, each segment dealt with different anxieties. You had you know, sexual insecurities. You had social anxieties. You had just the good old-fashioned fear of the dark and haunted houses, and I, I really loved how And the this, dogs! The dogs! The dogs are my favorite. Oh, yeah. I thought the dogs were oh, so yeah. scary. Yeah. I loved how this this whole thing uh, hung together, and I, I I'm I'm with you on seeing it on a big screen for sure. But I guess if the only place you can see it is on a small screen, I'd still recommend it. Maybe we should add it to the live events oh. coming up or something because it is really really gorgeous. It is a beautiful beautiful movie, and not I mean it's not scary you know in like a traditional sort of boo sense. You know it's just 
unsettling, I mm-hmm. think, all the way through. But then periodically, it's like with the dogs, they do have some that there's no question about. It's just an outright horror show we're looking at right now. So I think they balance things out really well between the changing animation style and then the different tone that each one takes. I just thought it was lovely. Yeah. Agreed. That's our number three, Fears of the Dark. Moving up to number two, we're getting toward the top here. Jeff, what do you got for number two? Okay, number two is is very special to me. Uh, Probably have the most to say about the next two, my number two and my number one. Number two for me is Monster Club uh, from 1980, starring Vincent Price and John Carradine. Donald Pleasance is in one of the stories. And this is probably the most unique anthology out there. It's It was made at the tail end of the Amicus cycle. Amicus, kind of like an offshoot of Hammer, was this uh, British horror studio, and they put out movies that neither one of us mentioned, uh, Tales from the Crypt, the original from 1972, that original movie, and Vault of Horror, and The House That Dripped Blood, and Dr. Terror, Train of Terrors, Torture Garden, um, Asylum, uh, from an Open Grave. Yeah, Asylum. Asylum is one of the most iconic ones. They yeah. have like Christopher Lee and, and Peter Cushing are in are in those. But um, they're absent from this last one. And what makes it so special? The stories all are throwaway stories. They're not that great. Uh, they're kind of unique, but they're really nothing special. What I keep coming back, and I must have seen this at least 50 times, what brings me back every year on Halloween is the wraparound, which is basically Vincent Price is a vampire, and he sucks the blood of this author, John Carradine, and he, and he goes, oh, come down to my monster club, and these crazy bands perform. And so there's four, so once again, it brings in the music, so there's four bands, uh, four different weird new wave punk bands that play in between the stories, and Vincent Price explains like the genealogy of monsterdom uh, to, to John Carradine as he tells him different stories. And uh, the songs are weird, and you can YouTube them to hear some of the songs, and you should definitely check it out. The soundtrack is great. You got UB40 doing some weird reggae stuff. You got uh, the Pretty Things, who are like contemporaries of the Rolling Stones on there, uh, doing the title song, The Monster Club. And there's just something very, very special about it. The Blu-ray is hard to get right now. Uh, I believe uh, they, it's very soon to be out of print. So if you're lucky enough to snag a copy on Amazon for uh, $21, do it, because pretty soon those those Blu-rays are going to be worth $50, $100, just the way it was when the DVD went out of print. This is when Reward Baker directed this, who who is a he's a longtime Hammer guy. You know, he directed a ton of Hammer stuff. He did he did Asylum, actually, and Vault of Horror, come to think of it. Ah, I did not know that. You know, I'm with you that, that the charm in this film is every single second that Vincent Price and John Carradine on screen together and then the other thing and and i am a sucker for those wasn't new wave punk so super cool in the 80s because it totally wasn't except for like nine of us who were thirsting for it and then we'd have to go see a bad horror movie (laughs) and there it would be and so i'm with you that the the actual shorts i could probably live without but i just i want to go to this club with vincent price in the worst way hell yes yes. (laughs) all right yeah jeff's number two the monster club from 81 our number two from 2004, one that we, well, we've talked about one of these segments before, we I have. know. But the complete movie, an Asian cross-cultural trilogy of horror films from accomplished indie directors, it's Three Extremes. From the minds of three cinematic masters. Comes one singularly terrifying vision of fear. to go to extremes. 
extremes. So two of these guys are in my all-time favorite directors. Takashi Miike. Takashi Miike, and then also Tim oh, Park. Oh, you guys like Takashi Miike? I do. love Takashi Miike. Hell yeah! And also Tim Park. Now, there's not a single Ch- yeah, Takashi Miike has directed 100 movies. Some of them I you're know. not going to want to see, right? Tim Park, everything, <laughs> see it all, every yeah. single thing. Oh yeah. And then the third one, Dumplings, Fruit Chan. To be quite honest, that's my favorite of these three shorts. That's the one we just talked about. It was on one of food. the Tri-Clouds. Food. Oh, food. Yeah. Dumplings. Yeah. Food. So yeah. Dumplings, it was a short in this, and then it was the only one of the three of these that was actually spanned into a full-length film. It's just transgressive, and yeah. it's got the best bit of social commentary among the three, certainly, and it's got the best sound design. Like, really disturbing. <laughs> the slurping? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Super disturbing. But yeah. the other and two... at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But Cut, Cut, which is Channel Parks, is also a really weird take on film on the film industry and it's the bloodiest by far and then i love the me one too the box because it's um it's like very circuitous they're evil twins as you know i'm a huge fan anything that has evil twins in it <laughs> um and a freak show and it's supernatural so so to me uh, i mean you can't go wrong with this movie i love all three segments just to death and then and also it's just a good chance to see how some really great directors work with short subject matter you know interesting thing about Three Extremes. So I haven't seen this in forever, but when I did watch it, it really uh, hit me, especially the me- for me personally, Cut is my is my favorite story. I love the box because, like I said, I love the Kashimike. Uh He is crazy. Gozu, Visitor Q, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is coming out in 4K. That's something you should get at the, at, at the Gateway Film Center. Heck yeah. uh, Ichi the Killer. I really like that one. Uh, it's a little, it's a little sort of dreamy for me. It's a little. I just remember uh, everything having. It was kind of like a. I feel like the the a lot a huge problem with certain anthologies is like playing order, uh, and that's part of the problem with Creepshow too. It's like you need to have the right playing order. If you need to send me off with such a bang, and I feel like Cut should have been placed third. Mm. I think. The box should have been first because it's very, like, sort of, like, laid back and dreamy, and I need to, like, work my way into it. And the middle one should have been dumplings. And interesting fact about Three Extremes. So Three Extremes is actually the sequel to Three Extremes 2. Three Extremes 2 is the original Three Extremes that came out in the South Pacific. And then when they did the second one, they sent it to America as Three Extremes. And when they saw that it was such a hit, they then repackaged the original Three Extremes as Three Extremes 2. So Three Extremes 2 is actually Three Extremes 1, and Three Extremes is actually Three Extremes 2. <laughs> That's too much math. My, my, head's, my head's hurting right now. <laughs> one, one plus two equals three, okay? That's right. That's right. So, yeah, a lot of love for Three Extremes. That is our number two. And you know what? Before we get to each of our number ones, we mentioned we met you at Nightmares Film Festival with your movie Romeo's Distress. And so quickly, talk about that movie, what else you got going on, where we can find you all over social media, your whole sure. bag. Um, like I said, it was just such uh, an honor to uh, even be selected at Nightmares Film Festival because the way they curate everything, the stuff that they curated, and I just like all the all the talent that I was watching made me feel like my movie was elevated even higher than it, uh, maybe it should have been. And it was a wonderful experience playing, playing out there. I'm trying to get Romeo ready for distribution right now. If I had to give you the one-minute elevator synopsis, it's about uh, a boy named James, his unrequited love for a girl named Jane, and Jane's father's sadistic response to it all. 
it's gothic and it's black and white and it's weird and it's not quite horror, but it's not quite anything else. It's just, uh, it fits perfectly in Nightmare's uh, Midnight category. That's why I submitted Nightmares in the first place. I was super stoked on that category. What I have coming up next, uh, I got up my fingers in a couple of different pies. One of them might be a conjoined twin horror film. Whoa! I actually hope so. I'm not even kidding. But I've already written the, the treatment. I sent it to uh, somebody to read, and that could very well be my next project. So I'll keep you uh, tuned in on that. There's an excited face here in the studio. There is. You know what? Before we get into where you can find Jeff, I just want to point out, so so George and I got a chance to see uh, Romeo's Distress because we were jurors for the film festival. And right. there were two things that really stood out for me in this movie. One is the very odd and incredibly enjoyable dark humor that runs throughout it. But the other thing... And you don't see this that much in in low-budget indie filmmaking. The performances are really remarkable. Mm -hmm. I mean, across the board, the performances are so good in this movie. I'm really glad to hear that because I have to tell you uh, about three of those people have never acted before in their lives. Wow. And they, I was like, you're going to be in my movie. My grandmother, so the grandma is my 88-year-old grandmother. Nice. She's never acted before in her life, uh, and another girl from work, and another guy, and then some. I have some actors in there, but it was their first screen credit, so that's a real, that is a true compliment. Thank you. Yeah, that goes right back on you as a director. So, uh, okay, Thank we you. want to hit you up on the interwebs. Where can we find you? <laughs> you know what? If you follow uh, either facebook.com slash video business media or facebook.com slash Romeo's Stress Movie, that's where you'll find out. The most about my uh, personal projects. I'll probably make Facebook pages for them uh, or for newer ones when they come. And that's the best place to uh, key in on that stuff. Romeo will definitely be on Amazon Prime in the very least. But I'm trying to uh, secure some other avenues as well. All right. Very cool. We'll look for that. All right. Getting up to the tippy top. Uh, our number one is coming soon. You're number one in most interesting anthologies. What do you got? All right. Ready for a drum roll. This one is super special and close to my heart. It's super rare to find because it's out of print in the U.S. Uh, I first rented it at my video store on VHS because Brian Usna directed the wraparound and the third story, and it has Jeffrey Combs in it. And it's just everything that I love about 90s horror, and it is Necronomicon, Book of the Dead. Um, if you don't know about this anthology, you must seek it out somehow, some way. Get a hold of it. Uh, I'm waiting for a proper Arrow or Scream Factory uh, release. And basically, the Necronomicon is three H.P. Lovecraft stories with probably uh, on par. Actually, maybe it's even better than the Monster Club wraparound, which features Jeffrey Combs as H.P. Lovecraft himself. But he looks, you know, I don't know. He looks he looks crazy. And he goes to this library with these, these weird monks. He steals a key and he, he basically is transcribing stories from the Book of the Dead. And we go into each story. And, of course, the Necronomicon is in all three stories, tying everything together. And what's so great about the wraparound is as we're going through each story, a different section of the door that's leaded, some mysterious door gets opened. And eventually it's revealed that it's like another dimension. And it just, the ending of that wraparound is so crazy. Uh, basically, Jeffrey Combs becomes Bruce Campbell in the form of H.P. Lovecraft, but also as Indiana Jones. And he's got this cane with a knife in it. And he's fighting 
Cthulhu monsters. And the stories themselves are, 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 are really great. They have great practical effects in them, which I know, George, you love yes. practical <laughs> effects. Yes. They're close to your heart. So you will really appreciate the ones in this one. Cool Air has David Warner in it. He's one of just one of my favorite character actors. He was actually in some amicus uh, anthology in the 70s. The other story is uh, Whisper in the Dark, which has the great Don Kalfa, who to me is one of the most criminally underused actors in the history of the world. His performance as Ernie in Return of the Living Dead, I mean, all of those performances are incredible, but his performance in that film is magnetic. And I can literally, I've watched Return of the Living Dead up 200 times, and I can literally just key everybody out just to watch his performance or James Karen's performance. And so he's really great in that third story. And the first one is just, uh, it's, it's just a weird Cthulhu story. And so, yeah, it is just spectacular. And I'm glad I own it on VHS. And I, like I said, I hope one day it gets a proper release. I do. I want to agree with you on this. Um, and I'm not the biggest Lovecraft fan, and I don't always like the way he translates to film in particular. But for weirdly enough, having it in short bursts worked better for me than the full length. And I, of course, I love Jeffrey Combs and everything he does. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to see Brian Houston oh, yeah. actually in the movie. That's always fun. Yes, and Stuart end. Gordon is in the end. movie as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, that's your number one. Moving up to our number one, this is the... This is the second time it's been number one on a list here in the, what, the last month? Yeah. But uh, I understand why, and it's from 2007, five interwoven stories that occur on the same block on Halloween night, Trick or Treat. During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. This is the one night that all sorts of things... Room free. Look at me. It's not a trick. It's real. So, again, this is not entirely because Michael Doherty is from Columbus. <laughs> not entirely. <laughs> not entirely. It's not like I'm totally biased about that. But we do have to, you know take credit for something, some kind of inspiration there. But I love um, a lot of things about this. One of the things is just how incredibly well all of the stories weave together. Yes. Another thing is just how great the performances are. And it looks fantastic. That's the biggest thing. Oh my God, this movie is gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I think it pulls off the graphic novel approach better. I mean, a lot of the anthology horrors, and because oh, a lot of them are based on graphic novels or, or comics, and so a lot of them already have that sort of a look, but not nearly as glorious gloriously brought to life as this. Plus, Sam is a great little character. Yeah, he's. it's a very memorable out of this movie. And I think there are a lot of memorable things about this movie. I'm with you. I love how it's interwoven. You see characters in the background of one segment that are going to pop up in other segments. Right, right. Uh, Well-directed, looks great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this one, too. And the way that Creepshow uses the comic book that is flapping in the wind to set up the next story or to mm-hmm. call back to another story, which is my favorite thing about Creepshow, actually, uh, I think that this does even better because when they do have comic panels they actually the the action in the comic panel is sort of integral to the plot particularly to the brian cox character yeah and dylan baker who is always awesome is great in this movie and thurman merman is in the movie right so you can't go wrong with him what's so great about trick-or-treat and yeah you guys love this movie there are several episodes uh have lengthy diatribes about trick-or-treat in them (laughs) Uh, (laughs) what i really love about trick-or-treat is that in a way, it's kind of like the Halloween version of Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I like it's that. Like, I like, it like that. Kind of, 
you know, it plays with narrative, you know, in a nonlinear way, just right. like Pulp Fiction does. Right. And um, it re- you were right. It really does. It looks gorgeous. But what more than anything else, it really personifies both in a contemporary way and a nostalgic way, everything that one would love about Halloween. It is the perfect love. And, you know, even more so to the fact that I'll be honest with you, there are two of these, two of the storylines. I, I kind of uh, could take it or leave it. Uh, I'm not a particularly big fan of uh, the Sam storyline mm. or the dead trick-or-treaters that go off the school bus. I mean, they're fun. They are not my favorites. And uh, I'm kind of wish that, because, you know, again, the narrative is very interchangeable. I almost wish that they would have put those at the beginning and <laughs> saved the, my favorite segment of all, which I will consider, I consider this to not only be the, I think this is, these are some of the best looking werewolves, but this is the best, <laughs> single best, hands down werewolf transformation in a film. It's just the way the skin splits. They yeah. split their skin and the, there's the fur underneath. It is, and to the song, that Marilyn Manson song, it is, it is just, pheno- it really is. It's, yeah. it's truly um, phenomenal. And the only thing I would change about it probably are just like the, I would just switch around some of the uh, stories, but it is, it is totally great. And it's a total great way to get yourself in the Halloween mood when fall rolls around. All right. Well, all those stories add up to great anthologies and that's 10 good ones to choose from and talk about and hopefully track down. But uh, what do you think? Let us know your thoughts on these anthologies and maybe some that we missed. You can hit us up on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And on Facebook and Instagram, we're Mad Wolf Columbus. Of course, the main website where you can catch all kinds of written reviews and Fright Clubs and our other podcast, our weekly podcast about all movies, all the new releases, is The Screening Room. You can find all that at madwolf.com. Also, if you have an Android phone, download Podcast Addict or Podcast Bean. You can find Mad Wolf on there. That's how I listen to Mad Wolf. Ah, nice. uh, it makes for a really great interface, and so I just went through, I scrolled through their titles. I was like, oh, that one looks good. That one's good. I started downloading episodes. So that's a really great way. And it's in your Google Play store. So check out that way to listen to Matt Wolf. Awesome. You're the best, man. I like that. You are the best. You brought it. Really, really great stuff. You've yeah. been a fantastic Thank guest. You. Uh, filmmaker Thank you, Jeff Promus from uh, Romeo's Distress and other stuff. Check him out. And we look forward to our next Fright Club Live. We're going to be back at the Gateway Film Center. What do we got on tap? We're going to watch Frailty. Oh, my God, I'm so excited to see this on a big screen. Yeah. Right. Bill Paxton directs, stars, met with Matthew McConaughey. Such a great movie. And our podcast podcast is going to be Divine Missions. All right, good stuff. So until then, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Say it, Jeff. Stay frightful, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Rawr!